Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Kingdom. And I want to start with uh, a couple scriptures. Always start with a scripture, right? Whoops, wrong way. There, how about that one? First one, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, I want you to take a couple minutes to someone sitting close to you, next to you, and explain to each other what that says to us about God and about ourselves. Okay? Because we're going to talk about, the word we're talking about this morning is fellowship, or the Greek word koinonia, which means participation. It means sharing life together. So you get a chance to do that right up front. So get with somebody, take two or three minutes, and explain to each other what these two verses tell you about God and about yourself. All right? Go for it. If you're not close to somebody, get close to somebody. Okay, so what does it tell us about God? Talk to me. Ah, he's, a, he's an us God. Pardon? Well, he's a us and he's a one. Now, how do we get a hold of that? Okay, it's a little hard to get a hold of that, isn't it? But he's an us God and he's still one. What does it tell us about who we are? 
Anybody? Well, we're created to be like him. We're created in his image. So we're created to be like him. So whatever we can learn about God tells us something about us. Right? Okay. Now, an us God who is also one. Do you think the, the Israelites in those days understood really what that meant? I mean, everybody around them had multiple gods. They understood the us part. Okay. But Israel was insistent that there's only one God, even though he's an us God. His name, Elohim, is plural. He has a plural name. So the the culture around them would have understood the us part, but they didn't understand the one part. And I don't think Israel understood how to put those together. Now, I want to give you a principle of interpretation. This, I, I, I received this from my favorite seminary professor, J.C. Winger. The new is in the old concealed. The old is by the new revealed. Or you can equally say the new is in the old contained. The old is by the new explained. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that what is there in the Old Testament, but not clear, it's concealed, like God who's us and one, is made more clear in the New Testament. Now, does the New Testament make this this idea that Yahweh, the God of Israel, who is one God, is also three persons? We sang about that this morning. Okay, now do we do we st- even today do we fully understand that? No, that's a part of the mystery of God. I've had a lot of people. Sometimes you know we think we have to explain everything, and so I remember the first explanation I got of the Trinity as a child was that it's like an egg. An egg has three parts. It has a shell, a white, and a yolk. Okay, maybe that's helpful, but the truth is those are all three very different. You don't eat the shell, right? I never eat the shell, intentionally anyway. Okay, so they're very different. And then I remember being told it's like water. Water can exist as, as uh, steam, as a liquid water, or like ice. And that's true. To a point, I mean, that's true, but it's like the same water is not water and air and ice all at once. So what my point is, you see, we get in trouble if we think we have to be able to explain everything about the living God because there's things we cannot explain about him. You know, and if you try, if you try to also, you know, what was concealed in the Old Testament about this three-in-one God is revealed more in the New Testament. The same thing is true that the Messiah would suffer and die for our sins. That's there in the Old Testament, but it wasn't real clear until Jesus came. And so there's some things that are still a mystery. 
since we lost our son two and a half years or so ago, and he went to be with Jesus, I've thought a lot more about what eternity's like. And it's like, uh, you know, the day he walked through the veil into eternity, he moved from a, a dimension where time is to where time isn't. And, and it's like, sometimes I get thinking about that and it's like, what is that like? And let me tell you something, you can't figure out what that's like. And if you try too hard, you just blow your circuits. Because we don't, we don't have any frame of reference for that. So there are things that are like that. But what is concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New. It's much more clear. And so we interpret the Bible with that perspective. Now, what I want to talk to you today is about community or the relationships that we want to talk about as relationships in the kingdom are in the very nature of God. How many of you have read the book or seen the movie The Shack? number of you. I have some issues with the man's theology, particularly in his more recent writings. But I, he painted a picture of the Trinity that was just captivating to me. And I, and I think it, it gave me some insights into who God is. And so I want to talk to you today about community that's birthed in the heart of God. And back in the 90s, I did cell leader training for Ralph Neighbors organization from Houston. And I had a session I did on community, and I always be begun it with a story that I'd heard about somebody asking the late jazz musician Duke Ellington to define rhythm. And he thought a minute and he said, well, if you got it, you don't need no definition. <laughs> and if you ain't got it, there ain't no definition gonna help you. <laughs> And that really rang a bell with me because I ain't got it, you know. Back when we used to clap and to clap along, I had to watch somebody or I was totally out of sync with everybody else. Well, it's a little bit like that, and I use that, and I told people, community's a little bit like that. Until you've experienced it, it's really hard to understand what it's about. Because it's a, it's a new dimension to life that's part of the kingdom that very, very few people in their brokenness really experience. So we want to talk about that. And I love quotes. Those of you who know me know that I love quotes. So I begin with a quote, I end with two, and in between we're going to look at some scriptures that connect them. All right? This one is from this guy named Georges Florosky or something like that. He's an Orthodox Russian but I love this quote. Christianity entered history as a new social order, or rather a new social dimension. From the very beginning, Christianity was not primarily a doctrine, but exactly a community. There was not only a message to be proclaimed and delivered and a good news to be declared, there was precisely a new community, distinct and peculiar, in the process of growth and formation to which members were called and recruited, indeed, fellowship was the basic category of Christian existence. 
Now there's two Greek words I have there. Ekklesia is the word that we translate church. It means the called out ones. So when we come to Christ, we're called out of something. We don't just pray a prayer and go to heaven when we die. We're called out of one way of life. And if you're called out of one way, you're called into something else, right? And that something else is called koinonia, which we translate fellowship or community. It's, it means sharing life at a deeper level. Remember what Mark talked to, to us about last week. This series is about getting deeper with our relationships because for, for way too many people, relationships are way too shallow. And then when, when the rubber meets the road and something happens, if you don't have relationships that you can hang on to. Now, because I lost a son, I know how important that was. Because you lost a son, you had relationships that you could hang on to in the middle of that. Okay. Genesis 2.18. Why is community important? Because God said in, in the very beginning, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's just not a good thing for man to be alone. Why is that true? Why is it not good for a man to be alone? Somebody tell me. We need help. We need help. We have times where we really need help, and that brings us to Ecclesiastes 4, 7 to 12. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If they fall down, they can help each other up. But pity those who fall and have no one to help them up. Notice that. Pity those who fall and have no one to help them up. How many of you at some point in your walk with Jesus have fallen flat on your face? And if you're alone and you have nobody to help you up, you are to be pitied. That's what, that's what the scripture says. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There's something about relationships. We need relationships because the time's going to come when if we don't have a few, at least a few close relationships, we're going to be alone. And I want to tell you something. The devil loves to find Christians who are alone. Because when you're alone, you're no match for him. Now, we come to the New Testament and we see the, the, the more clear revelation. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He's verifying there's this, this one God. I and the Father are one. And he also verifies that he, 
This one God is an us God. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long, a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And then in John, further on in that same chapter, he says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. There we have a fuller revelation of what we saw in the very beginning of the Old Testament. We, have, we see a God who is one God, and yet he's an us God. Okay. Here's another quote. It was to establish relationships like those enjoyed within the Trinity that Jesus came to earth. He prayed for it. He died for it. He sent the Holy Spirit for it. He's interceding for it now. He's coming back for it. Because, why? Because we were created to be like God in his image. What is important to him is important to us. Now, how did that work out, for example, in the life of Jesus? Well, we can see by looking at, at the Gospels. In Mark 3, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach giving them authority to cast out demons. In other words, he called out of his whole group of disciples, and we don't know how many that was, but when he went back to heaven, there was only 120 in the upper room, right? He would have been considered a failure in church growth circles today. Okay. But out of that larger group, he called out 12 of them to be with him and to send him out. That's the order it needs to happen in, folks. When people get sent out before they've been with him, they cause problems. They called him to be with him, and then he sent them out. And not only did he call 12, but he hung around with three of those that we read about many times. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. Was this a very strategic time in Jesus' life? He's getting ready to die. On one of my trips to Israel, I was, we were having a worship service in the Garden of Gethsemane. And at the end of that, Gerald Durstein, our, tier, our tour leader, asked me to pray. And I started praying, and I couldn't finish it. I just was overwhelmed because it hit me. This is where my salvation was won. It was carried out on the cross. But here's where Jesus struggled through. Am I going to do what I want to do or am I going to do what the Father wanted to do? 
And it was like, that's now. And in that moment, what did he do? He called out the three closest people to him to stand with him and be with him. Now, we know what they ended up doing. They went to sleep. Sometimes even the people that are close to you go to sleep. But you know what? Sometimes you just need to know they're there even if they're asleep. So when we look at the life of Jesus, now Jesus ministered to thousands, didn't he? I mean to 5,000 men plus women and children at, at one time. We, we know that. He ministered to thousands wherever he had the opportunity. He ministered to crowds, but he never got his focus on the crowds. His focus was always on the few. Why? Hmm? Because if he poured him, he knew when he poured himself into a few, they would go out and pour themselves into a few, and they would multiply this thing. So, Jesus didn't, I mean, he ministered to crowds. You know, one of the mistakes a lot of churches make today is they, they gather crowds and call that success. That's not really success if, they're, if we're following Jesus. The success is that we're calling out people out of darkness into light, out of an old way of life into a new one, and they're repeating that to others. So what did the, the New Testament church do as they followed Jesus? Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, there's that word koinonia again, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now how did they do that? Well, Acts 5.42 says every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. In the temple, that's a larger setting where they heard the apostles teaching and from house to house, they shared life together. They ate meals together. They shared this new quality of life that they had found in the kingdom. Does that make sense to you? So if that was important to them, is it important to us? Why are there at least 22? Now, I've been told there's more than that, but that's what I found in the New Testament. I did an interview one time back when I first uh, wrote Integrated Lives. I did an interview with the Moody Station in Chicago. And in the course of that, I talked about these one another's. And I got an email from this guy who said that he and his wife, when they got married, used the one another's of the New Testament as their vows to each other. Now, he said there was 27, so he found more than I did. And on the 27th of the month, they repeated those to each other. 
And when it came on a weekend, they, they went out to dinner together and repeated those vows. And I thought, what a, what a great and original idea, isn't it? They reminded themselves that what we're committed to here is what the body of Christ is committed to together. So, we're going to do the 22 one another's, okay? Now, I'm, here's the way it's going to work. I'm going to read the heading, and you're going to read together the scripture. You don't have to give the scripture reference. Just read it. All right? Can you do that? Yes. All right. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. Accept one another. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Bear with one another. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Be at peace with each other. Be at peace with each other. Instruct one another. Carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Greet one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, pause there a minute. When I was, the church I grew up in believed in what was called the holy kiss. But the only people who did that were the ministers. I'll bet you grew up with the same kind of thing. It was everybody. It was only the ministers could greet one another with a holy kiss. But they did that every Sunday in front of our eyes. Okay. (laughs) Encourage one another. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up. Build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Admonish one another. Serve one another. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. Confess your sins to each other. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
righteous person is powerful and effective. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Offer hospitality to one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Speak truthfully to each other. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There you have the 22 one another's. Now I have three questions for you. Number one, are those important? Everybody agree they're important? They're in the scriptures, right? That brings to mind another J.C. Winger quote. He said, things are not true because they're in the scriptures. They're in the scriptures because they're true. They're important. So my second question is, where do these happen for you? You said they're important, right? So where, where do they happen for you? Ah, there's a connection here between the one and others. In other words, this is about us being created in the image of an us God and being part of close relationships so we can live the one and others. So where does that happen? Particularly some of the tougher ones. Like confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Where does that happen? Most likely in a close group. Yeah. And if you don't have that close group, where does it happen? It doesn't. I had been a pastor for seven years when I had a friend, one of my mentors, tell me, the Bible says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed, and most Christians have never done that. They've confessed they're a sinner. And he said to me, I've never seen a person genuinely set free by a general confession of sin. It's when we can be specific and own it and confess it to one another. James said that's, that's how healing comes, right? How many of us want to be healed? I'll let you put those two together. See, this whole thing. In the Western world, in the Western church, we've, we've followed 500 years of modern culture, and it's all about individuals. Now, we don't lose our individuality when we become part of community, but we add a dimension to that individuality. We're still responsible for our own lives, but we invite other people into that. 
where we can do one another's. That's where, you know, and why do people not do that? We haven't really been taught to do that. Plus, sometimes it's just hard to get along with people. Anybody besides me ever had that problem? That reminds me of another J.C. Winger quote. To live above with the, the saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know. Now that's a different story. Right, George? Right. Which is why we need each other. And the very things that tend to isolate us, keep us from what we really need. Sometimes it's past experiences. It's all kinds of things. All kinds of things that the devil has lied to us about. So that's one reason why It doesn't happen. But the truth is, there's a lot of people who don't have a context for it to happen. Because for a lot of people, this is church. Now, remember, they met in the temple courts and from house to house. So that both are important. And what happens here on Sunday morning is important. But let me say to you, this is not a one another setting. Is it? It's not. And if this is all you have, then the odds are that most of those one another's are not happening. Right? Unless you have a context for them to happen. So you have to provide a context for life to happen. So my third question is, What will you do with that? I've shared the scriptures with you. You told me they were important. Right? So what will you do with that? Since a year ago, August, when I heard from my friend Jim Egley, The problem with Western discipleship is it's all a knowledge paradigm. Discipleship is about gaining knowledge. Biblically, discipleship is an obedience paradigm. And so from that point to this, I have two questions that I ask when we do Bible studies. I do this with, Gwen and I do this with Jason and Sasha, right? We we, We talk about two things. What does... How do you understand what that says and what will you do with it? It's the second question that we haven't typically asked each other. And so we, we keep accumulating knowledge. One of my good friends is a pastor from Asheville, North Carolina. And he and I do a, a, a one-hour Skype visit together twice a month, and we've done that for eight, nine, ten years. One day we were talking about this, and he said, I had this vision of the people in my congregation, and I saw this vision, and everybody had these great big heads and these tiny little feet. 
Now I've had that image stuck in my brain ever since he told me that two or three years ago. It's such a vivid image, but it, it captures what happens, folks. We just keep accumulating knowledge and we don't have a context where we can walk it out. Kingdom relationships, community, we're called out of one way of life and called into another. A life of sharing, participating with one another, sharing one another's burdens, confessing sins to one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another. All of those things we read. Now, when, when do the life groups start? October. October. Yep. So that's right. coming right up. And if, if, you, if you don't have that kind of a setting, that's a place to get it. That's a place you can get started on living out these one another's. All right? Okay, two quotes to end. This one is from Richard Halverson, who's gone to be with Jesus now, but was a long-term chaplain of the U.S. Senate. In Jerusalem, the church was a fellowship. Remember, that's the word koinonia. The church was a fellowship of men and women who centered their lives on the living Christ. They had a personal and vital relationship to the Lord. It transformed them and the world around them. Then the church moved to Greece and it became a philosophy. And it, later it moved to Rome and it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe and it became a culture. Next, it, finally, it moved to America and it became an enterprise. We've got far too many churches and so few fellowships. That's a pretty powerful statement from the Senate chaplain. And one last one from George Gallup. You ever, you know who the Gallup poll? You ever seen the Gallup poll? That was started by George Gallup. He's also going to be with the Lord now. He was a dedicated Christian man. 1992, he, he defined six spiritual needs of every American. Number one, to have a sense of community and deeper relationships. Is that what this series is all about? Okay. Second, to believe life is meaningful and has a purpose. Third, to be appreciated and be respected. To be listened to and be heard. Does this sound like to one another's? To feel that one is growing in the faith. How many people enjoy feeling stuck? Are really motivated when you're feeling stuck? Right? No, we're motivated when we feel like we're making progress. That's important. And finally, to have practical help in developing a mature faith. Community provides the context for those six things to happen. That makes sense? Now, by my watch, I have one minute left, so... I'm done, so I'll take a question if you have a question about what we've talked about. Comment? 
Does this make Lou? Well, I would just say one of the things, I think one of the clearest things that stops this, the reason this is hard, is because there's fear of letting ourselves go out and, and saying, this is how I'm feeling. Because you open yourself up to be trampled. Yep. And there's probably a good number of us that have done that, and there's trampling that happens. Like, that hurt too much. I'm not doing that again. Yeah. You know, so and unfortunately, that... culture for honor and respect. Right. And, and this does take time of, of growing a friendship and, and this level of safety, feeling safe. Trust. Trust, yeah. So yeah. it's highly important that we gain momentum and, 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 and feeling... Be, becoming safe to other people and feeling, you know, and and the truth is, at some point you have to be able to say, "This is what this is what Jesus said. This is what He did, and I and I need to do it because He's called me to follow Him. And even if that means at some point I'm going to get burned, I, so be it. I'll be burned, but I'm going to go for it because it's the right thing to do." Otherwise, the first time you get burned, it's like, I'm never going there again. And the devil laughs because he has accomplished what he set out to do. So there's times where, you know, and it's true. I mean, a lot of times, because we don't have close relationships, we, we talk. Instead of talking to people, we talk about them. This is the culture. This is a culture in which we live, isn't it? But remember, we're called out of something and into something else. We're called out of that crap, frankly. And we're called into something. And that is where we put ourselves in the hands of Jesus and saying, I'm ready to risk this, Jesus, because this is what you did and it's what you called us to do. And I'm trusting you to take care of me. And if somebody violates that, you will bring the healing that I need for that. Otherwise, you, you get burned and, and you make a never statement. Those are called vows. I'm never going to do that again. We had a, a lady, a very, very dear friend of Gwen and I, who's gone to be with the Lord now, who was part of our church at, at Tri-Lakes. She was violated by her brother. She was a, one daughter out of an, a number of brothers. And she was violated. And she said to me one day, I'm never going to be anybody's little girl again. And unfortunately, I mean, it's unfortunate what happened to her. But it's also unfortunate that she ended up stuck there the rest of her life. We don't have to be stuck wherever it is we are. Because we've been called out of one way of life and into a new one. Let's go there, brothers and sisters. Let's do something with what the scriptures say. Okay? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
Thank you for your word that's a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. We love you, Lord. We trust you. You're the God who brings together the pieces into a whole. You're the God who brings healing when we've been burned. We thank you for that. Because of that, we can embrace a whole new way of life that you called koinonia, fellowship, community. And you called us out of this brokenness that we live in, in our culture, and you've called us in to this new way of life. You haven't just called us into it, you've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to live that. May we do that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Dale. Um, some of my takeaways from that were we are called into community because we are creating God's image. And alone equals meaningless. So I just wanted to reiterate what Dale had said about the October groups. That's a great context for community. There will be sign-up sheets for that next week. Um, and also, you know, we know a lot of people in, our com- in what we call our community, or, you know, our, our neighborhood, that don't have that opportunity. And there's the fish fry this Friday, and that's a great opportunity to invite them into a place where they can have people that can help them through hard times or through other struggles. So come next week to hear Pastor Mark talk on relationship and sexuality. We have our Rama team. We'll be over here to the left, our prayer team to the right. Otherwise, you are dismissed. Go pick up your children and enjoy some fellowship and snacks. Thank you.